Well, it seemed like a, a really appropriate topic for us today, not only because I wanted you to get to know Monica's story and celebrate with her, but because as we pick up in our study again of Philippians today, we're talking about what else? Citizenship. And uh, it seemed like a, a really good tie-in. We're, talking, our, we're working our way through Philippians in just a few more weeks to go uh, in this, but today we come to a beautiful passage of Scripture in this letter to the Philippians. And we're going to talk uh, really, particularly today, about what it means to be a citizen. Uh, um, not, not, you know, in this, in this planet, in this time, Earth, 2010, but to be a citizen not just of the United States or of Colombia or of Holland or of Costa Rica or wherever else you may be a citizen of here today, but to be a citizen of heaven. Be a citizen of heaven. So would you stand with me? Let's read this passage of Scripture. It's Philippians, picking up at verse 17 of chapter 3. I'm going to read through chapter 9 of, or verse 9 of chapter 4. And at the end of my reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond if you believe it. Thanks be to God. All right. Okay. Good, good practice. Good practice. 317. Let me read it for you. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible as I read. Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. We're only halfway home, but any, does anybody want to say amen? Amen. amen. Therefore, my brothers, to you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, this, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the Gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We want to read verse 8 and 9. Let's read it together from the screen, can we? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, 
or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, a uh, little, little history lesson for you. Go to that next slide if you can. I think it's the map. Hopefully, there it is. Um, my wife told me to point at this one so you can see it over there. But this little red light is so small, you probably can't see it anyway. But I'm going to try anyway. Um, just remember, about 100 years before, a little history, a little before, 100 years before Paul came to this region of Philippi, there had been a big civil war at the end of the, the, the reign of Julius Caesar, a big Roman civil war. And at the end of that Roman civil war, the two uh, victorious generals were left with a problem. They had been fighting this battle, this war, right around in here, and they won. But now they had a problem because they had a lot of Roman war veterans in northern Greece. That's basically what Philippi is, this area of northern Greece right here. So they were, they were there, and, and you can see that this is their homeland over here, Rome and Italy. They had a problem, a logistical nightmare, if you might say, of what to do with these Roman war veterans. If they brought them back to Rome, that would be problematic because that place was already overcrowded, and it would be difficult to get them there, and and they weren't sure they wanted a bunch of grisly war veterans that had been fighting in these ancient battles coming back into their, their cities. And so the Roman leaders had this great idea. Instead of bringing the war veterans from Philippi to Rome, they would bring Rome to Philippi. Does that make sense? What they did is they came in and they set up a Roman colony in the region of northern Greece, in Philippi. And they allowed these citizens of Rome, these war veterans, to move into that colony and to carry on their Roman ways, their language and their culture. And not only to carry it on amongst themselves, but to become proponents of that Roman culture and advocates for it in that area of the world. It made pretty good sense for these Romans. They were trying to spread their influence around the world. So uh, we can see kind of the issues that were at hand. Now, a hundred years later or so, Paul shows up in Philippi. And by that time, obviously those original veterans had passed on, but now there were the descendants of these Roman citizens who had continued and maintained their Roman citizenship in that place, and they were very proud of that. They, they were citizens of Rome, but they were living in Philippi, and they were expanding the influence. They were teaching their ways, speaking their language, sharing their culture. In a, citizens living in a different place, but citizens of Rome. So it's into this context that I think is very important. I think you can take that down now. Um, it's into this context that Paul speaks to these Philippians. And he speaks to us. This context of colonies, and you understand kind of the background. And he speaks these very simple words that you heard right at the center of the passage that we read today in verse 20 
of chapter 3 with these very simple words, but our citizenship is in heaven. Just a, just a little, how many words? One, two, three, four, five, six words. And yet, he spoke a mouthful. He has said so much. Notice with me, first of all, one thing he does not say, our citizenship will be in heaven. No, he doesn't say that. What he's talking about is a very present reality for these people. They are currently, though they live in Philippi, they are citizens of heaven. And he's talked about right here in this passage, as you look at those verses, especially 17 through 19, he's talked about how these were, were people who, as citizens of heaven, were called to take their cues from Paul and from others like him who, who were following after Jesus himself and who had said such things like this, who had said that, that they, they considered everything else in life a loss. Remember this from last week? A loss in comparison to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. These were the people that, that these Philippians were to take their cues from, and not from, as he says, those who were called the enemies of the cross. If you look back in these verses, these, these who took great pride in behavior that should have indeed brought them great shame. These who, as Paul speaks of them, constantly and consistently had their mind on earthly things. We, we know who he's talking about, whether it might be pagan, just outward pagan people, or whether it be that he's speaking of wayward Christians here. He's clearly talking to the Philippians that if you're a citizen of the kingdom, if you're a citizen of heaven, then you follow these folks and not these folks. These people, these Philippians, were to be the ones who lived out the Lord's Prayer. Remember that little phrase in the Lord's Prayer where it says, Thy kingdom come. Say it with me if you remember it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in Yeah. These would be the people who were bringing, in a sense, heaven to bear on the world in which they were living. They were to be ones whose task was to live out the values and the rule of heaven in the midst of this far-off land in this little colony that they were a part of and to expand I love this idea, to expand heaven's influence into the world around them a little bit at a time. They were, they were already, listen to these words, they were already citizens of heaven living uh, on earth. For the Savior that they were waiting for, the Lord Jesus, had not yet come the one who would come to put all things under his authority and settle all things and make all things right. Living on earth, citizens of heaven. Now, let me just speak to us a little bit here. Uh, we, all of us, with, with Monica this morning, I, I would hope that we, are, we have a sense of gratitude and, and, and a sense of privilege in a sense to be to be citizens of this planet and whatever country, or now in your case, countries that you belong to. We're, we're thankful and we're privileged for that. We are indeed called, I believe in Scripture, to, to settle down and to, while we're here and to engage the culture that we live in and to impact it 
as well. We don't take lightly, I hope you don't, we don't take lightly the responsibility that we have to do things like to vote and to express our opinions and to engage in political and economic and social realities of the world in which we live and to fill these arenas with the aroma of Christ. That, that is very much a responsibility that we have in this world. However, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, then I have some very important and interesting news for you. And if you've never thought about this, then it's possible that this could be hopefully very revelatory, perhaps even very, a, a, a whole shift of your worldview and your understanding of, of the world in which you live. It's very important news. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, if you're still kind of, you know, checking things out and wondering if this is, is right for you, then, then this doesn't necessarily apply to you, but it's interesting, I hope, nonetheless. The news is simply this, that on account of your entrance into this Christian faith through your, through your prayer, through baptism, through the grace of Jesus Christ ultimately, but on account of your entrance into this Christian faith, your ultimate eternal citizenship, i.e. the one that really counts, has already been transferred from one dominion to another. And you have become, in whatever culture or country you find yourself now or may find yourself in days to come, you have become what some have called a resident alien. Interesting. Now that may sound to some of you like a conspiracy theory or something that I saw on Fringe this week, but uh, this is in fact the truth. <laughs> if you're a Christian, you're no longer a citizen of planet Earth. You are right now and forevermore a citizen of heaven. Let that soak in for just a minute. I, maybe that's kind of a shock to some of you. I want to let that soak in for just a minute. Uh, here's the reality. We're citizens of heaven, but we live here, right? We, we haven't gone to heaven. Heaven's come to us, in a sense. And, and, and so, in a view, very beautiful way, uh, the Lord has provided for us a Christian colony of sorts. Much like Rome had provided a colony for their war veterans. You do kind of look like a grisly bunch of war veterans here this morning. It's just beautiful, strong, that's what I meant, powerful. Uh, the, the Lord has provided for us a colony in which we are able to dwell. In which we are able to live in this world as His people, as His representatives, as His ones to carry on the language and to live in the culture and to express the values and to, little by little, impact and influence the world around us. And the colony is simply the church. The big C church, the church of Jesus Christ that, again, as we said earlier, is meeting in lots of different places in lots of different kinds of buildings and out in prairies and under trees and in shopping centers and all over the place this very day. 
And the little C church, this local church, in a sense, a colony of heaven, who we are at Coast Community. So what I think Paul wants to say to us in the remaining verses, what I really want to hit at now is, is to make sure that, that we as people who live in this Christian colony have, have a bit of a sense, are able to grasp at some level at least what life is to look like in this here Christian colony as citizens of heaven. So look with me here. First of all, Paul makes it really clear that one of the key distinguishing marks of this colony of heaven will be a radical unity among the believers. A radical unity among its citizens. Now I know, even as I wrote that and thought that, I I know that we talk about unity a lot. I, I mean, this whole... Series on Philippians. It's called Philippians. Together. Hello. Unity, unity, unity. Over and over. And we've been talking about what it's like to serve together and believe together and grow together and stand firm together. And er, we're unified, right? I hope so. Hope, hope so. We're getting there. I hope. I pray. More and more. But I was thinking about radical unity, okay, but we talk about unity so much that if we're not careful, I think... It's easy for Christians to even get immune, almost, to the whole idea of of unity. It's just a word that we say. And maybe lose sight of the significance of it, the urgency of it. It's as if maybe Paul knew this as well. Uh, As I read this, it's as if maybe Paul thought, well, I've been talking about this a lot, so I think maybe I need to raise the stakes a little bit. I need to turn up the heat a little bit on these folks, these ones I love so much. I need to start naming names. Literally. I need to start naming names. (laughs) And that's exactly what he did. Did you read it? Did you hear it there in verse 2? Chapter 4? I plead, he says. I plead. I know you want to practice saying those names, so same with me. Eodia. Sintiki. Isn't that fun? I love Sintiki in particular. The E-U-O. That always gives me a little problem in Uodia. But Sintiki, that one's, that one's fun. Uh, here they are. Never mentioned before in Scripture. Never mentioned again in Scripture. All we know about them is that these women were, were ladies who had been loyal partners of Paul in the ministry. They had worked with him side by side, and yet now their relationship had fallen on hard times. Some controversy, some division, some arguments, something had broken them apart. How would you like to be immortalized in the pages of the Scripture as the two women who couldn't get along? <laughs> and that's it. Yodi and Santiki, they got one shot. They probably wouldn't have even gotten in there, though, if it wasn't for this. So maybe they're like, well, at least we're in there. Hey, what about you? Here they are, immortalized in the pages of Scripture forever, for all eternity, because of being the cause of a church split. Sad. 
But Paul's purpose, I just got to believe, I mean, he, he already said it there in, those, in that first verse of chapter 1, you whom I long for and love and my joy and my crown and my dear friends. It's obvious that he loves these people so much. And so he's not out here to embarrass Yodi and Syntyche. He's not out here to, to, to somehow make them feel necessarily bad about themselves or to spotlight the failures of these two women. He's just here for one purpose, to call them into friendship, to call them into unity. Because he realizes this is not a matter just to take lightly. He realizes the great significance, the urgency of helping them in this matter. So he says, I plead. You can go back to that for just a minute. I plead. I plead. I urgently ask of you. I beg of you, in a sense. For he knew, again, that drastic problems called for drastic measures. He wouldn't be afraid to confront these women in public still in a loving way, but he knew that he couldn't let it go unless he wanted further damage to happen in this local church. Um, all right, you can go on. I, I don't anticipate ever coming to church here and opening up the bulletin and seeing my name written in there. You know, James and Kyla, would you just start getting along? And, and I, I would just like to say, don't anticipate that happening to you either. Uh, you know, don't, don't think I'm taking my cue. I'm like, sweet, it's a good idea. It's my work well in the bulletin. <laughs> now, I, I'm not getting any ideas along those lines. Um, but uh, can this demonstrate at least to us just the level of significance and urgency of this issue? Because we all know how it can happen, Right? We all know how easily it is for people like Uodia and Sintiki to, to get into a little scrap like this. Harsh word? A misinterpreted email? They didn't even have email. You ever got a misinterpreted, or have you ever either misinterpreted or had someone misinterpret an email? A failure to respond how I thought you should have. You might not even know what you were supposed to do, but I expected you to do it. And when you didn't, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Any number of things can give rise to a tear in a relationship, even among believers. And this is what Paul's talking about. If we don't deal with these things right away, as we all know, they can fester, they can grow, and bitterness can take root. One writer I was reading this week compared it uh, these kind of relationships to letting the iron pile up. If we let it go too long, the pile gets too high to even contemplate tackling. Anybody ever been there? And so we just push it off. Anybody there right now? <laughs> okay. We just push it off, and, and a wedge between us gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, the, the thing that Paul knew is that disunity and division in the church is never a personal problem. You may, in fact, be saying to yourself right now, well, I, yeah, I don't like that guy, but that's between him and me. I don't, I don't like her at all. I, can stand, I can't stand her. I, I just hate to be around her. But that's just, you, that's just her and me. Paul knew that that is not the case. When there's division, when there's disunity in the church, it's not a personal matter, it's a community issue. Because sooner or later, those feelings, those expressions spread. 
And sooner or later, people are forced to choose sides. And sooner or later, people are forced to assume battle positions. Sooner or later, the church is broken apart. Paul knew this. Paul also knew not only in the church was this an issue, but he knew that the effects of division are felt even perhaps more strongly in our testimony to the world. Just ask you a question. What, what do you think? Non-believers, unchurched people, maybe you are one of them or you have been one of them in the past. What do you think these folks, good folks, think about when they hear that Christians are arguing among themselves? Or when they hear about another church in town splitting apart because of disagreements and division? Because they can't get along. I'll tell you, it isn't good. It isn't good. And Paul seemed to know that. So here's my challenge in this little point here. Is that Paul, I love this. If you have your Bible, you can look at it. It's not on the screen. He says this. Yes, in verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women. There's been a lot of debate over the years as to who this loyal yoke fellow was. He doesn't mention this person by name. He goes, this person goes unnamed. It could have been Epaphroditus. It could have been Timothy. It could have been somebody else completely. That it just goes on name. And, and instead of trying to figure out who that was, as I read that this week, I thought, sweet, unnamed person. And I like that because you know what it makes it easier to do? It makes it easier to slip your name into that place. So here's my challenge for you. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, insert your name here, help these women. Would you just... Can we just do it together? Can we just choose and decide right now together with all this accountability around us and, and, and here in this place that when we hear conversations that, that somehow at some level of our heart we sense that that could lead to some division. When we hear gossip or you know, criticism behind our backs, when we hear people talking about this or that, or when we see people who are who are engaging in harsh words or who are pulling back or who are in any way acting as if, you know, in ways that will lead to this sort of division. Could we just commit ourselves to not be complicit in that behavior, but instead to be a loyal yoke fellow who would help those people that are engaged in that very, very serious issue by, by calling them to accountability, by encouraging them to seek forgiveness and reconciliation, by by speaking to them, by doing it maybe as the Bible says, and asking them to approach and talk to that person personally, and if it doesn't work, to get somebody else from the church to go and talk to them. Could we just decide that? Can you just nod your head? I see, I see some of you not nodding. Okay. Thank you. Uh, radical unity does not just happen. We have to fight for it every step of the way. And we have to remember why we're unified in the first place. Right? All right. Uh, another one here is, is uh, this idea that, uh, it, a little phrase that John Wesley and his brother Charles Wesley used a little bit, that within the, within the uh, Christian colony, there will be vital piety. Now, it's a big word, or a big 
They're actually not very big, but they're a little maybe hard to understand. Vital piety, old-fashioned phrase, simply refers to beliefs and behaviors, beliefs and behaviors that strengthen and support a person's inner life with God. Those things, those practices that we give ourselves to that will help to grow in us a strong spirit, that will help us to become the people that God has designed us to be. Those, those choices that we make, this, this vibrant, this vital, this life-giving piety, really, that can be so, that is so significant in drawing us closer to God and to His will for us. So, you see there in verse 4 and beginning that a, a, a life, the life of a, a citizen in the colony of heaven will, will take on some very interesting characteristics. He says it will be uh, characterized by, by rejoicing in the Lord. What's the qualifier? Always. always. This is crazy to me. Rejoicing in the Lord always. On Wednesday morning, I, uh, Kyla was heading off somewhere. The kids were off to school, and I was still at home. And I said, well, honey, see you tonight. I'm off to the parade. She looked at me, and she said, what are you talking about? I said, the San Francisco Giants victory parade for the World Series. Hello. Yeah. And then she looked at me again, and she's like, Really? <laughs> Are you really going? That's in San Francisco. And I said, no, I'm just joking. But, And then I got online about 1 o'clock, and I saw that they were streaming it live. It was awesome. So I got to watch this celebration. Hundreds of thousands, if not a million people there in San Francisco celebrating the Giants World Series championship. And I was just, you know, in my office, just waving my orange rally rag. No, I wasn't really doing that. I don't have a rally rag. But it was, it was lots of fun, and, and just an amazing public celebration. That's what Paul says we're to be about. But we don't celebrate a baseball team. We don't celebrate a World Series victory. We celebrate the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. And, and Paul says always, and that doesn't mean we have to you know, be waving our rally rag all day long, but it does mean that in the midst of very difficult and challenging situations, we can still find joy, we can still celebrate in the Lord, because we know that He gives us a peace and a confidence and hope in this life that he continues to speak about. He not only talks about rejoicing, he goes on to talking about uh, uh, giving thanks to God and praying about, what's the qualifier on that? Everything. Give, or rejoice all the time and pray about everything. Now, some of you might remember about we probably don't, but about nine weeks ago we were talking about prayer in here, and I said most of the time all we do is pray about you know, money or our health or our problems. And I tried to urge us to pray about some other grander things. And yet, then I read this. And Paul says, you know what, don't, don't mess around. Pray about everything. So when I'm, with, when I'm with my dad and he prays for a parking spot, I'm always like, come on, Dad. Think he really cares? Maybe he does. When it's maybe going to rain on a church picnic day, and we say, well, should we really bother God with those things? Paul seems to say, why not? When it comes to your heart and when it comes to your mind, when it comes to your communication and connection 
with the Lord. Paul says, pray about everything. And then he says for this, in this vital piety idea that that person who is a citizen of, the king, of, of heaven will understand a peace of God which transcends all understanding. Now this is a phrase that I wish I could spend about another you know, series on. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. And I really don't have time to get into it really, but I just want you to think about that kind of peace. And maybe you have all had times in your life where this verse has been especially meaningful to you. If not yet, there will come a day when you will need a peace that transcends anybody's ability to understand. And to remember that that peace comes only from the Lord. I like that right smack dab in the middle of this paragraph, there's this little phrase and it just simply says this the lord is near see that right right smack dab in this little section four to four to seven the lord is near and and people have argued well does that mean the lord is near helping you or does that mean hey the lord's near he's coming you better you better get it get it together here i don't think it really matters i think what matters most is that where where there is a life of vital, vital piety the lord is there and where the lord is there's a life of vital piety. And so the greatest call that we have as citizens of heaven in this earthly colony is to draw near to the Lord. Here's the last thought, and it's this, that in the colony there will be life characterized by purposeful activity. And um, essentially, I think what Paul wants to say here in these verses 8 and 9 is that, um, is that there's, there's a lot of stuff we do in this life that is is just we just we don't have any real purpose we don't have any real intentionality i I love the cruise control feature in my car when i get onto a highway i love to be able to lock it in and know that i'm not going too fast and nor too slow and i can get where i need to go and i don't have to pay attention to that aspect of the trip the problem is that we do this too often in our lives as well we just set cruise control and we go through the motions of each day. Monday, okay, we do this, Tuesday, and suddenly it's Thursday. Okay, what happened? And then it's six months, and then it's like 50 days till Christmas or whatever it is, you know? And, and we're, just, we're on cruise control. And what Paul wants to say to us is that when we're living in the colony of heaven, then we need to live with purposeful activity. And a couple of ways that we do that, we think about such things. Reg and Kristen sang about it. We read it together. All these things that celebrate the goodness of God. How easy it is to think about other things. When we're bombarded by media, when we're bombarded by images and other uh, things that the world thinks are important for us to think about. And it's so easy to get caught up in thinking about nothing but those things. And, and yet Paul calls us to think about all these other things. Whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, and excellent, and praiseworthy. Think about such things. Lord, help me. Lord, help us to think about these things. And then the other activity that we'll be, need to be purposeful about is how Paul puts it, put it into practice. Put it into practice. Whatever you've seen in me, Whatever you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Intentional. 
I'd love for you to just think about one or two people around you who, who can just be a model for you. You might not even have to even talk to them very much. They might be able to be a mentor for you just in the way they live and the way that you can watch them. You might be able to engage in a relationship with them, but, but who is it that you can watch and learn from and grow in their pattern? We all need somebody like that. Again, growth and activity that is pleasing to God doesn't just happen. It needs to be purposeful. It needs to be intentional. Purposeful activity. Well, um, the elections were this last week. Anybody notice that? Okay. I can answer my phone again. Right? Sorry if some of you have called and I thought you were somebody calling me to get, to, get your vote. Um, I don't have call waiting or what's that other one called? What? Caller ID. Yeah, I don't have that. Um, but, but the elections... I, I am so apolitical, you guys. You know that I never speak about these kinds of things from here. But, but they were this week, and um, again, I felt the tension. I don't know if you guys feel this or not, but again, I felt the tension between my earthly citizenship and my heavenly citizenship. Every time these elections roll around, I, 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 I'm reminded that those within the Christian colony will always have a very interesting relationship with the broader culture around us. As I've said, we will find appropriate ways as believers to engage and interact in our culture. And yet I believe that at some level we must always kind of maintain our position as critical observers of that culture. Never completely an insider and always pointing to where it falls short and always, I don't care who you voted for and who you think's going to do what, always very wary of the solutions that are suggested. And I also thought that we always have the opportunity to be a witness to this culture, hoping and believing that perhaps through our style of colonial living, which doesn't have all the best connotations, we might catch the interest of someone searching for more. Look at this quote, and I'll end here. This quote I read. Uh, Howard Wass and Willimon, they wrote a book called Resident Aliens. <laughs> living in the colony, living in the Christian colony. I've been heavily dependent on these two heroes in faith of mine. They said this. Church knows that the most effective thing it can do for the world is the actual creating of a living, breathing, visible community of faith. This is the colony of heaven. 
Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have as followers of yours to have our citizenship transferred. Not that we think anything less of our earthly citizenship. We're very thankful for it and we want to continue to look for ways to be your people here. But to always remember that first and foremost, if we're followers of you, we're citizens of heaven, even right here and right now. And that our call is to bring to bear on the world in which we live the values and the, the beauty of, of heaven. So God, I pray that right now you'd help us all to think about what it means to, 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 to offer our very best to the world. We think that maybe we need to save souls or we need to create justice in the world and we need to do this and we need to do that. Maybe in reality, what we really just need to do is just be, be Christian and, and be a living, breathing, visible community of faith. A colony in a faraway, distant land. A colony of heaven. And God, even right now, we, we, want, we want to take communion. And, and you're inviting us to your table, and we're so thankful for that. A lot of us went to the polls this last week, and we cast our ballot, and we did our, uh, the duty of our earthly citizenship. And, and yet today we get to we get to come forward to participate in the duty and in the great privilege of our heavenly citizenship, and that is to celebrate the one who makes possible this citizenship, the one who has come and lived and died and rose again, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we remember that night that uh, he was betrayed. Remember his instructions to the disciples as he passed the bread and as he passed the cup, this is my body, this is my blood, broken and shed for you. Take of it and eat and drink, and as you do, remember me. And as we receive the elements today, we pray that not only would we remember you, O Jesus, but we would bring you to bear in our lives, and through you, bring our lives to bear on this world. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. He became sin Who knew no sin That we might become His righteousness